everybody, and welcome to episode four of Talking Seahawks. I'm Robin Miller, one of your co-hosts, and with me, I have my other co-host here. Graham Clark. Hi, folks. And we're here to talk about not-so-boring CX strategy, just like the title implies. I think we had some discussion about this, Graham, about how were we going to have a discussion about strategy that wouldn't put people into a catatonic state. And the first thing that you came up with is the title. So that's pretty a pretty good start, I'd say. And we have to try to live up to that. So I'm interested to see where this goes. If you'll recall a little bit of context here, we started off our podcast talking about CX as science. And then we talked about the building blocks of CX um, and how to build a giant Jenga tower out of them. And um, the very first building block of our CX science is CX strategy. And so uh, we have several elements that make up that strategy. So Graham, would you like to tell us what those are? Sure, sure. At the risk of being boring, but there we go. Um, so, you know, really three kind of three kind of key elements, um, business strategy, customer strategy, and then how do those inform um, guiding principles for designing and executing customer experiences. So, you know, not, not really that difficult, right? Business strategy is what are the goals, you know, whether market penetration or revenue growth or customer acquisition, you know, competitive strength, you know, who are the competitors? What's the brand strategy? Um, and obviously, how will we measure achievement of the business strategy? So the business strategy, why are you in business? You know, what's your objective for the next year, two years, three years? Um, then customer strategy. So when you think about your business strategy and you think about the customers that you're going to target, so which customers are going to be focused on? And of course, which are not, or at least which customers are going to be more focused on and which customers are going to be less focused on? You know, which products and services are going to be offered to those customers? You know, what's our objective for those customers? You know, wallet share, mind share, um, you know, and then, you know, which of which of those customers and their experiences are the highest priority? Um, how will we succeed with new products and services and organizations and partnerships? And then again, you know, how are we going to measure achievement of the customer strategy? So your business strategy and your customer strategy really combine to inform you know, what are generally called CX guiding principles. So, you know, what are the overall themes? What's the CX vision, right? How is CX going to be deployed? You know, what are the overall themes around designing and activating experiences? Which channels are going to be used? You know, web and mobile and social and contact centers and stores and branches. You know, which are the priorities? Which channels are going to be which priorities for which particular products and services and so on and so forth. And so, you know, those three building blocks, right? Business strategy, customer strategy, and then the guiding principles for designing and activating customer experiences are really kind of the core three pieces um, of strategy in the CX world. Okay. And as we uh, discussed before in previous podcasts, the, um, the, and especially in our building block one, the key to all of this is not actually the definition of the strategies, uh, but the key to all this is that the strategies are going to be very different depending on what kind of company that you're 
discussing and and how old they are and who their customers are and what they're trying to accomplish, right? Are they trying to just accomplish, you know, uh, keeping their their customers or are they actually trying to be transformational? So it'd be interesting then to come up and with uh, several companies that have implemented all three of these strategies or that that you think have implemented all three of these strategies in an interesting and creative way uh, or even a transformational way. Yeah. um, Well, I mean, so, I mean, I think the good news is that anybody we talk to has, you know, their favorite companies in terms of experiences and business models and how they've operated them. So I'm going to turn it back around, Robin. So, so, who are yours? I mean, who do you think of when you think of someone who, you know, clearly understands their customer, has built an operating model to serve those customers, has done so potentially in a disruptive way, um, and, you know, continues to, you know, to demonstrate that they know exactly where they're going and, and whether they know how they're going to get there, they at least are agile enough to continuously adjust their strategy to stay the course. I mean, so who, who are your favorite you know, experiences, who are your favorite companies when you think about that? Well, so I'm, I, I mean, I'm going to make the assumption that we want to stay away from, from the, the big name, the big names that, you know, come first to everybody's mind when we talk about this. So I think we want to talk about companies that are big enough, but maybe not too well known to be, that everybody already kind of assumes to know what they're already about. And, you know, the first one that comes to my mind, and I think it comes first to my mind because I uh, was a host home for this company and really enjoyed the experience. And the one that I know a lot about is Rover. And Rover is a Seattle-based company it is the doggy equivalent, I would say, of Airbnb. And so what they're about is they provide a platform for people to sign up to host dogs in their home overnight and or for you know any specific length of time and for the pet parents to sign up and to look for and decide who they would like to possibly have host their dog for an extended stay. So as an alternative to to boarding kennels, when people go out of town and business trips and vacations, they want to feel like their dog is being treated like family and, you know, and not miserable huddling in a kennel cage someplace. Not that those places don't have a purpose and take good care of their dogs, but it's not like being at home at all. And so what Rover did was create a platform to bring those two together, the pet parents and people who love dogs and want to host them overnight. And, you know, my, I have a dog who's very social and she loves, um, she, she actually loves having guests. (laughs) She loves having guests invade her space and show them (laughs) around. She loves to show them around and, you know, play hostess to to other dogs and, and she's great that way. And I thought, hey, you know, this is a great way of um socialization and, and me. So I signed up for Rover and, and it was a good experience. Like I said, they have a really good 
platform that's not all that different from Airbnb. And you create a profile and put your pictures and, and put your descriptions. And, you know, they have ratings so that people who have 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 you have uh, their dogs have stayed with you they can go on there online and they can talk about their experiences and and give that person a rating or five star rating or not however it went and they have some other things in place too of course they have safeguards you know to background checks and other other things that that the uh, host has to earn to establish themselves as educated and capable, and you know there's there's other factors in here that that you don't have involved in an Airbnb. You know you have to do meet and greets, and for those who are doggy pet parents, you'll know what that is and what that means and why that's important. But of course, there are other factors that don't that that make it a little different. But uh, I really enjoyed that, and everyone I think that uses Rover enjoys that. It's a wonderful alternative. Um, it's mobile, of course. It's on the desktop and mobile, and of course, it's a physical locations as well. And one of the things that I think make them fall into this category is, you know, when they started off. Um, I think they started off in Seattle, but they got a lot of startup uh, cash, and they have expanded to the whole country and they, they continue to evolve, right? So they keep adding services, being agile enough and, and they obviously have a strategy and it seems to be working for them. So I would say that that's, that's one of my favorites. Hmm. That's interesting. I thought you were going to go down the road of doggy dating for a while. <laughs> that, who knows? Maybe that will be next. Being very socially active, bringing strange dogs home from Starbucks and the local <laughs> bar. Maybe that'll be next. Swipe, swipe left. Swipe left for Fido. Is it left or right? I'm not actually pretty up to speed with that whole manner. Anyway. Um, so, wow. I mean, that's, yeah. And, and, and yes, I mean, and, and as you said, right, providing a, you know, a needed service, right. Using, using the latest technologies, right. Digital, mobile, um, social media, right. Um, a model, which is, you know, pay per use effectively right i mean it's 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 a perfect example i think of you know modern day business when when were they founded by the way oh you're asking a question i'd have to go go and and google i'm not 100% sure about that i don't think they're think really old i think it was, I think like, it was 2011. like around 2011 oh oh you oh you googled it for me thank you yeah two, okay 2011 that sounds about right um, I did while I was asking the question. <laughs> <did>. oh. <laughs> so they so they're part of the they're part of the they're part of the second so they're part of the second wave of um I don't know really second wave but certainly second wave of kind of major internet businesses right I mean having learned the you know leveraging all the technologies that have come along I mean let's remember that you know iPhones 2010 right so you know if if Rover is is heavily dependent on mobile apps, then you really couldn't even go there before 2010. And, you know, obviously the, the sins of the people of the past, which is, you know, there. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, I think it's a great example, right? I think it's there. I mean, I think another, another example on a similar, similar vein, um, you know, which is, which is one of my favorites is chewy.com. Right. So, um, in the doggy, right. Doggy and pet world. Oh yeah, um, Chewy. So, Chewy's great. Yeah, so founded around about the same time in 2011. Um, 
you know, and, and, and Chewy built themselves a, a pretty phenomenal brand. They have a, um, you know, number one is they have a, they have a very specific experience model. Kind of, you mentioned the Rover thing, right? So one of their big claims to fame is there are no interactive voice response systems, right? IVRs, you know, press one to talk to accounting, press two to talk to store operations or whatever. Um, every time you call Chewy.com for service, um, you talk to a live human being and a live human being who's a pet lover, um, which is very important to them. Um, you know, they grew, they grew like a rocket, to be honest with you. And, um, about two or three years ago, two years ago, I think they were acquired by PetSmart. Um, at the time they were the biggest acquisition of a, of a digital company by a big brick and mortar company since Walmart had bought jet.com the year before. Um, but Chewy, Chewy, another example. And, and what, what Chewy did was, you know, they learned from, um, the explosion of some companies like for those of us old enough to remember pets.com in 2000, right? So, you know, pets.com part of the very first internet wave, um, you know, brilliant idea. They spent, I think 200 or $300 million in money in like 24 months. Um, and, uh, you know, they were just too early and too much, right? So people were not used to the idea of buying a lot of stuff on the internet, you know, way back in 2000, strange to think that's way back in, um, you know, but pets.com mm -hmm. built their website, went out on the internet, the brand new internet in like 98, 99 and 2000, 2001, the whole thing collapsed, right? All the money got pulled and, and they had been spending money like crazy trying to build awareness in the marketplace and no one was there. So, you know, that particular marketplace idea goes to sleep for eight, nine, 10 ideas. And then Ryan Cohen and Michael Day in Fort Lauderdale, the founders of Chewy.com, you know, pick up the idea again. They've got you know, shipping with FedEx and UPS and USPS become pretty well ingrained about internet shipping. They didn't spend every penny they could find their first day and hope more would come. So they were smart about building it. Um, and they built it around this idea of um, people who, who love pets and the idea that, you know, while people are willing to do most things online, they're there are times when they don't want to do online things online. And when that happens, the experience is it should be superb, which is our, you know, digital first, not digital only multi-channel customer that we've talked to before. So I think they're, um, you know, I think I was just looking right. Rover's getting close to a billion dollars in revenue. Chewy is at 4 billion. So, um, you know, both doing very well. Um, they're both basically profitable or pretty close to it. And so, uh, you know, again, a, a good business strategy, understanding what had gone before, really deeply understanding their customers and then creating a, a phenomenal experience, which people are just incredibly loyal to. Yeah. And I, I would say Rover is through the way that they designed their customer experience, putting that platform together for dog lovers. I think that that's uh, that what they did was quite transformational. Right. And they're now moving into cats, right? Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do we have one for cats? We should have one for cats because we shouldn't leave them no, out. No, 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 no. Rover's moving into cats. Rover's moving into cats. Oh, Rover's moving into cats. Oh, I it haven't I haven't looked at I Oh, so this, you, you, uh, you are you are busy on the internet while we're talking, aren't you? Well no, I typed one search in about when was Rover.com founded and it gives you all this stuff, right? So it says that their um their CEO announced um must have been ended last year that they were um starting to, it's actually a pretty funny story. So they were starting to, I'm reading it. So they were starting to um, figure out the cat thing. Um, they had, this is, the visual is pretty impressive. They had cat lovers 
who basically were disguising their cats as dogs. <laughs> I'm not sure how they do that. <laughs> the visual was pretty good. Dark glasses. Um, but anyway, they were disguising them as dogs in order to put them on the on the Rover.com um, dog sitting okay okay oh yeah okay he he also mentions that they want to open that up to all pets that apparently there's a need for goldfish sitting too so of course um, there's the latest and greatest in terms of you know rover.com rover.com strategy so yeah i mean i think what gets interesting about those organizations right i mean chewy rover.com is is that which is what's next right so you've you can continue to grow um you know, in your in your initial market, where do you go? You mentioned Airbnb, Rover being the Airbnb, right? In the last few weeks, a uh, couple of months, right? The the Airbnb, I believe, is headed to an IPO, or it may have just IPO'd, I don't know, going public. Um, and they're talking about, you know, the pressure that's going to bring to the founders in terms of what's next, right? Because the stock market's just unforgivable in terms of their demand for better and better every quarter. And so they're pointing at the fact that Airbnb started with these very unique experiences, which have become, you know, somewhat democratized. And they're trying to think about what's next. I think, you know, Rover moving into cats, goldfish, and I suppose you could do plants as well, because I got a friend of mine who's very obsessed about her plants whenever she goes away. Uh huh. Um, uh-huh. Maybe plant waterings there. And in Chewy's case, right, Chewy's got a very interesting thing they announced a couple of months ago, which is. Um, you know, they're owned by PetSmart. So PetSmart is pushing all of their um, pet meds. So their online uh, online pet medications you used to be able to buy on PetSmart.com. They now redirect you to Chewy.com. So one one assumes that's kind of the thin end of maybe PetSmart deciding that, you know, Chewy is going to be their internet site in the same way as Walmart.com bounces backwards and forwards between Walmart.com and Jet.com today. So, yeah. Yeah. So, well, that's, great. I mean, I love the idea of Rover. I think it's just an amazing idea. That's, yeah, it, it is. It, it's a it's an amazing idea, and it's also very good execution. And I think what you just mentioned about cat sitting, which is something I didn't even know about until you told me, because I haven't really been looking at it, following it that closely lately, but that's a really good example of, of great business strategy, you know, long-term business strategy combined with a great customer experience. So I think that's, those are really great examples. Bad business strategy might be mixed. Bad business strategy might be mixing cats, dogs, and budgerigars and parrots because that's, well, you yeah, I I mean it depends. It depends on the dogs and cats, but you you may or may not want to combine, um, unless they come from the same household, and then I'm sure it's fine. Right, but, you know that, and that's right. a good, do it, do but that's a good care. point though. So, right, do it with with utmost care. Um, that's a good point though. What you said. So we have two great examples of companies that have implemented good strategy or great strategy, even transformational strategy. So we probably maybe want to balance that out with a story about a company that did not implement great strategy. Maybe we should pick on one that kind of spiraled because of their strategy. Maybe they got one or two legs out of our three-legged um, customer experience uh, strategy stool that we discussed at the beginning of our podcast. Do you have any examples like that? 
Yeah, I think. I mean, I think keeping in the vein of the Chewy example, maybe we kind of flip back 10 years before they were founded to Pets.com. Pets.com for... For folks who weren't in the middle of the first wave of the internet revolution, was a very, very famous website that was set up to ship, um, you know, same stuff Chewy does, ship dog food to dog owners, to put it very simply. Um, and and they were around for about two and a half, three years. They burned through two or three hundred million dollars in capital, and then they blew up. And uh, so when you think about, you know, um, how does that relate to our strategic pillars, right? So from a business strategy, they were in the first wave of the internet. So there was a build it and they will come, right? If you built a website, you would be a billionaire. That was kind of the concept. Um, but what they didn't really do is they didn't understand the customer. Um, I think lots of people didn't. There was a feeling that customers mm -hmm. were um, as desperate to buy everything that possibly could be bought on the internet um, but customers really weren't there yet, right? So it's it was the first wave of of e-commerce shortly before that. Um, there was no social media. There were no smartphones, right? So all those things that came along by the time Chewy um, came along weren't 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 in people's uh, mindset. So what happened with Pets.com is because they um, they really didn't recognize that customers weren't ready for it yet. They spent a lot of money really fast building distribution networks, warehouses. Um, also remember the whole concept of kind of free shipping and, you know, the UPS, FedEx, USPS um, distribution chain thing around the internet. That really wasn't baked either at that point in time. So, you know, they just, they just overemphasized or, or over-exaggerated um, the adoption of what they were doing by customers. And then, and then of course, you know, the one that nobody could have foreseen, which is, you know, rear view mirror business strategy, as people call it, right? So when you look back, what happened to the strategy was the the entire um, investment economy uh, just collapsed in the 2000, 2001 um, tech crash. And so, you know, they spent a huge amount of money building out an ecosystem, building out a business model. Customers didn't come fast enough. And then, you know, the investors kind of pulled pulled money and started changing what they wanted. So, you know, they did they did get the business strategy thing right at the time. They could be argued that they didn't understand the customer strategy well enough. They didn't really understand who the real customers were. I think they felt like everybody was like them. You know, all their internet friends wanted to buy dog food on the website, um, but there weren't enough of those. Um, customer experience, they got that right. I mean, remembering all the things that weren't there in customer experience, you know, they had a good contact center. Um, did a great website, you know, with some personalization on it. Um, and they did uh, a fair amount of marketing, um, you know, to go out and make people aware they were there. They just, they just misunderstood. And I would, I would argue didn't even do the research to understand, you know, what the customer adoption rate was. And so, you know, two of the, two of the legs of the stool are probably okay. Business strategy wise and, um, CX strategy wise, the one that they really missed was, was customer understanding, but it was a fever and, and, and there was no past to look back on, right? You couldn't look back on the people who'd failed on the internet 10 years before because there was no internet 10 years before. So the advantage of a Chewy.com or a Rover.com or all the other um, digital properties that came along in 2000, 10, 11, 12, which is really that second wave, um, you know, is they got to learn from the, from the failures of the past, which is always one of the fundamental principles of, a business strategy, right? And that is to know what other folks have done before you and hopefully not make those same mistakes again. Hmm. 
And I guess the other thing that seems to me that's happened since the second wave started is that it's not nearly as expensive anymore to create websites and to, you know, to have these startup ideas and, and they're much more accessible now than they used to be with, you know, social media and mobile apps. And so it seems like there's been quite the uh, democratization of, of the whole internet that wasn't, didn't exist at the time either. That democratization and the increase in the number of websites makes that three-legged stool that we were discussing at the beginning that much more important, I think, to, to get all three legs correct, right? Customer understanding and business strategy and CX strategy, because if one of them is missing, then things might wobble <laughs> more than a little. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I remember and said I had a we had an e-business integrator in 99, 2000, 2001, and um, you're absolutely right. I mean, it was exorbitantly expensive to build the infrastructure to put together a, you know, a website that performed at speed and scale um, and was sustainable and didn't crash around everybody's ears. And so um, it's kind of ironic. So now it's much cheaper to put together the infrastructure. We've got all these cloud services. Um, but on the other hand, it's a lot more expensive to get noticed. You just have to understand all the things that are going on and and come up with a you know a well formed business strategy with a very clearly defined customer strategy and build your customer experience around you know what your customers want, need, and do, and then have the fortitude to ride the you know the hurricane and tornado that's involved in starting any business and getting yourself to success. And I'm sure. People have a lot of interesting ideas on organizations that are doing it the right way right now that may be starting up that a lot of people haven't heard of. And so I would definitely like to hear from, from you know, everyone's opinions on who are those organizations that are getting all, you know, every aspect of strategy right. Why are they succeeding? What is it about their strategy that's making them successful? And why? And and by that, I mean, I don't mean the obvious, you know, contenders like Amazon and Uber and Airbnb, but maybe some organizations that not everyone has, has heard of quite as yet. So we're at info at talkingcx.com. We have an 800 number, 833-482-5529, or tweet us at TalkingCX. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And in the meantime, remember, do CX right. And do it right now. All right. Thank you, everyone. See you next time.